0: Please pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the picture of the, the poor widow who put in everything that she had, even everything she had to live on. She completely entrusted herself to you. Uh, Lord, I pray that this morning, as we seek you for um, life, as we seek you for true home, I pray that we would completely give everything all of our hopes and all of our desires to you, that you might make of us a kingdom of your presence. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. As a, I was thinking about the sermon coming up today, I was realizing how much this season is um, it's kind of a mixed season for a lot of us where it's starting to be cold, you know, and you're, you're feeling that when you go outside, and uh, so therefore warmth becomes more important to you, by contrast, and uh, also it's a season where um, you realize you're, you're just about to head into some holidays, right? We got Thanksgiving, it's just around the corner, and then you got Christmas, not too much further beyond that, and um, so many of us have like warm memories about that, and then many of us don't have such warm memories, it's... Um, It's it's maybe even a a cause for sadness, Um, and maybe even some experiences of brokenness that you haven't completely worked through. Those things tend to hover around the holiday seasons, you know, where all of your hopes for fulfillment in relationship, in home life, uh, at times might have been fulfilled, but at other times were deeply not fulfilled, and that hurts. So it's this mix, isn't it? I don't know, I mean, at least I feel like sometimes there's a mix of, of both of these things. I know what my heart wants. My heart wants that sense of home and that sense of completion that comes with home. Um, you know, I, um, there's this wonderful concept in um, the, the Norwegian tradition, and uh, it's called hygge. Have you guys heard of that? It's, it's, it shows up on the internet every time this year. So things get cold, and then everybody starts talking about hygge. <laughs> I like to say that. That's fun. Um, and uh, you know, being a Norwegi- Norwegian, I, I, there must be some kind of genetic response to it. Because I'm like, that's cool. I like that. Except it's warm cool. Um, and what it is is it's this sense of, like, coziness. It's a sense of, of, um, of home. And actually, we get the word hug from that, too. So in our English language, you know that desire, like, man, I just need somebody to give me a hug. <laughs> in a way, it's like your heart is crying out for huga. So remember that. Next time, you know, you want a hug, go, go around and say, huga huga, and maybe somebody will give you a hug. No, they won't. <laughs> but isn't, you know, that's, that's like the cry of our heart, you know, to be taken into a place of warmth and cared for, and these pictures on the internet when this stuff shows up, and it, it's usually somebody like with a cup of hot chocolate in a Scandinavian designed mug, and then you can see these feet that are in really cozy, puffy socks, and they're in front of a wonderful fireplace that's very warm. It's like, wow, that's really in- inviting. I want to be there. I want that sense of home. And... Um, That really is the desire of our hearts, especially when things are difficult. And sometimes the cold makes us feel that way. And sometimes just our experience of the lack of home quickens, makes it an acute desire. For those of us who've lost loved ones or loved ones who were separated from out of pain, um, it can be even more exquisitely painful to long for that sense of home. So it's 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 a time of jeopardy in a way. Um, to either become a fulfilled promise or like to despair that maybe that won't happen again. And I think what I want to see if the Lord might minister to every single one of us here this morning is that he really wants to unfold us in, 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 a, in a divine hoog. <laughs> he wants to take us close into the hearth of his heart. He's a really good father. He knows that he gives us good gifts, especially the fire, the warmth of his Holy Spirit. Um, He wants to do that starting, I think, here this morning in so many ways. When we speak about home, one of the things that we we realize is that the church has to be the home of homes, and the home is supposed to be kind of a small church. That's how it's often referred to in tradition. So there's this relationship, but if our homes are in jeopardy, we also know that church has also been a little bit troubled, if you think about it, in the last few years, we look at the people who were supposed to be taking care of church as home and they didn't do it very well. Um, we just n- need to only think of some of the megachurch pastors. like ba- Bill Hybel's in our own neck of, neck of the woods. We need only think of, if our background is Catholicism or liturgical churches, all of the, the way that the, the pastors have failed there and pastured themselves on the sheep. And, and there may be very specific instances where... The church has failed to be a home of your home. And so what what are we supposed to do about that? It starts to feel very precarious. You have the longing for it, and yet how is it going to be fulfilled? And we're going to look at Ruth this morning, because I think Ruth is a picture of somebody who's actually left the home of her upbringing. There's some sense of interpretation in the hebrew tradition that would say she left a very troubled experience she was a moabite not really part of israel and something happened there that she married into hebrew people israelites who were living in the moabite land at the time those israelites i think it's a limilex family with naomi came into the moab people out they left their land because it was in a famine the reason it was in a famine according to a lot of interpreters, is because the Hebrew people had done just what I described the church leaders having done in our day and age. Many of the judges in those days were not good judges. They weren't judging according to righteousness. And, you know, they might make a judgment on somebody and, and they would, they, the, the people that they were making a judgment on would say, take the log out of your own eye. You have no business judging me because you failed so miserably in taking care of our home of homes in this country. And so Elimelech and his family, in the midst of this famine, which the Israelites thought of as really a judgment on God for how poorly they'd cared for the people of God, they go into Moab. And in a way, they give up on what God might do by staying home there and redeeming their home there. And then what happens is the sons of Elimelech and Naomi marry into this family, uh, I'm sorry, Ruth marries into this family, um, the sons of Naomi and Elimelech, and then the sons die. And things become very, very tenuous. The sense of home is put in jeopardy. Um, This is where the beginning of the book of Ruth, is a very short book, and it's a wonderful story, starts, is at that point when things have become very tenuous. And Limelech is dead, the sons are dead, and those who take care of the home are gone. Those who engage with the world to make sure that the home gets cared for are gone in that culture. And so Naomi's gonna return to Israel because they'd heard that there was food there finally. Maybe you could make home there. And her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, are hanging in the balance. Are they gonna go with her? And Orpah she walks four miles, I guess, with them and then returns to the Moabites. Returns to what she knew. But Ruth doesn't do that. She says something really wonderful, I think. And it's I think an important word for us. So when things get really dicey and tenuous, and we're not having that sense of home, what do we do? Do we we say, okay, forget that. I'm gonna go just make do with what I know how to do. I'm gonna go back to the old ways. Not the ways of God that I have learned that I have to have really some trust in a God who I cannot see, but I'm going to go back to the ways of making do for myself. I'm going to just manage it. Orpah makes that decision, and we do this often, don't we? I'm going to just make do. And so Orpah does that, but Ruth does and She says this. She says, don't, don't ask me to go away, Naomi. Naomi means comfort, by the way. Don't ask me to go away from you, mother of my husband who is who's gone. Don't ask me to go away from you. I will go with you wherever you go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. That means everything that you do with your God, all of The things that you believe are true, I will believe they are true. I will trust him for the things that you trust him for. I will observe the feasts that you observe. I will observe the laws that have been laid down by your God, not the God of the people that I grew up with, not the ways of the land that I have left. And she's saying that in the midst of a real tenuous time in her life. I'm not sure what's going to happen. And she says, I'm staying with you, Naomi. You've been... Not just the mother of my husband. You've been the mother somehow of my comfort in life. And I've seen something there that I will not let go. However tenuous it feels right now, I'm not gonna let it go. She's seen the comfort of God in the midst of a land that's not the promised land. And in many ways, that's what we live. We live in a land that isn't the promised land. We live in the world, and it's not the coming kingdom yet. But when we live in trust, we receive comfort from God. When we live in trust, we receive comfort. As Naomi, somehow, in some way, we understand Ruth had to have experienced because she doesn't want to let it go. So she will lodge and go. Her God will be her God. N- Naomi's God will be Ruth's God. Her lodgings will be her lodgings. Her people, her people. And it's, she's all in. Um, this picture that I've had this whole week has been that, that Naomi and Ruth are hanging on by a very thin golden thread. And they don't know that that golden thread is the most reliable thing that they can grab hold of. In, in the eyes of the world, it doesn't look like much. And I think when we're in the midst of our own tenuousness at home and our own tenuousness about the reliability of the church, We have to find that golden thread, that the Lord will be our comfort and we can entrust ourselves completely to him like that poor widow did with everything. And so Ruth goes with um, Naomi back to the land that Naomi came from and to her people and to her God. She goes believing in the comfort and um, she goes trusting that home will be there so she's moving in this place of tenuousness, and one of the things that we realize from this, the, the, the book of Ruth is that um, Naomi is actually very troubled right now. She goes back to the land, and, and everybody says, Naomi, welcome back. And she says, do not call me Naomi. Don't call me comfort of God anymore. Call me Mara, because I feel bitter. I left full going to Moab, and I'm coming back with nothing, and I feel empty. So don't call me comfort. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. And they've got to make do somehow. They're widows. They're both widows. And in that day and age, that was very difficult. And so Naomi is, is still, even though that's how she feels, she's still taking care of Ruth. And she's saying, I'm, I'm going to make sure you're okay. We see that at the beginning of the section of Scripture that we read this morning. I want you to be able to rest. I want you to be able to have a life. I want you to be able to have children. I want you to have hope of a home that will go on into a legacy of sons and children for a long time. But Naomi's bitter, and I think Ruth is afraid, and yet Ruth is the one who decides, I think in many ways, to demonstrate trust in the midst of her fear and in the midst of Naomi's bitterness. They're in a, a moment of tenuousness and a lot of times at that moment you can feel bitter and a lot of times at that moment you can feel sorrow and sadness for what has not happened. You can feel fear. What do you do in those moments? Especially when it comes to things that are most important like that sense of home that we long for. Um, well, there's, this brings us up to the section where we are in Scripture this morning. And um, I think what we see with Naomi is an expression of the bitterness that I'm just going to make do. In the first section of the scripture that we read, there's a lot embedded in that. It's not immediately evident when you read the text. But what she's encouraging Ruth to do is to almost entrap Boaz. I want to make sure that you get a home. And here's the kind of clever, deceptive, manipulative way that we're going to see if we can make it happen. And um, I want you to go, and, and what Ruth, what Naomi's been doing is she's been, she's been gleaning. This is this harvest season, right? It's like right before Thanksgiving, I, I guess, in, in their context, so to speak. And she's there gleaning, and that meant that as the real harvesters who take care of the land, she could pick up a couple grains, no more than a couple grains, but she does it faithfully. She falls behind the gleaners. It's actually a very... Dangerous and precarious situation itself. To be able to be in that context, and a lot of times, what would happen is prostitutes would show up with those men who were doing a lot of the work, and the women would follow in behind. And there'd be gleaners there, and they would, you know, do what they would do in the evening time after the men had had some fermented beer, liquid grain, liquid bread, and um, so in a, in a sense, what what Naomi seems to be suggesting in her bitterness is it's, let's see if we can create a shortcut. But she also has a little thread of faith, I think, as well. as Boaz is seen as a good man. He wants to make sure that Ruth isn't abused by these men the way women often are in that context. And I think she knows that he's a good man. And so she's saying, well, let's go this path Actually, this is, this is, in a way, this, is, this would be very natural for a Moabite because the Moabites were started by Lot's um, daughters. When their, su- their husbands died in Sodom and Gomorrah, they went into their own father to have children, and they did it by, after he was drunk. They took a shortcut, and an entire land was founded on this process, if you will of let's make it for ourselves outside the ways of God. Not trusting in God. And um, man, we do that a lot in our culture. And what happens then is you see, she, she does what Naomi says. She, she goes into the, um, the tent of Boaz in the evening after he's had his, his, um, his beer and, he's, and she's seen where he lays. And she goes in and she uncovers him There's a lot in that that I won't go into, but she's in a very vulnerable situation. But she also knows that he's a good man, and she does not entrap him. She just lays at his feet. And he wakes up, and he's startled. And there's this moment, it just describes him as trembling. He's actually trembling. And um, he realizes what's potentially afoot here, may not even know what has happened or hasn't happened. I'm not sure exactly, but he's trembling. And then she says to him, you're the nearest relative of my dead husband. Spread your garment of care over me. Spread your garment of provision over me. Spread your garment of husbandry over me. Take me as your wife. And he comes from a place of trembling. And that's actually a significant um, thing in scriptures too because he's actually in a moment of, should I take a shortcut into solving my pain or should I trust God here too for something I can't see? Like he's actually drawn to her. And it says that in preceding passages, he notices her and she notices that he notices her. And he's drawn to her. And he's fighting with a kind of a almost an evil inclination is how the the rabbis would put it, and yet he is committed to doing things God's way. And he decides to hold on to the golden thread of trusting God. Ruth has held on to the golden thread and she's appealed to him, trusting in God. Boaz holds on to the golden thread and doesn't take the shortcut either. And then eventually, through a process in the Hebrew tradition, they establish a home. And what is so amazing about the home is that they have a son named Obed, who's the father of Jesse, who's the father of David. And that golden thread is woven into a kingdom. And it's this amazing, incredible gift from God, the most direct route to home that becomes full of blessing and full of provision, so much that it changes the world and it changes salvation history, is the one that's built on trusting in God, even when it's the thinnest golden thread. It's the only thing that will redeem you in life. He's the only one that's reliable. You may not be able to see how he's going to do it, But he wants to give you a home and he wants to restore to you a home and he wants to redeem from the bitterness, from the fear, a complete home. And when you trust him for that, it can become an incredible kingdom. And everything is changed for the Israelites. And not only that, she then is not just the great-grandmother of David, she's also in the line of Jesus. And it's the kingdom that will never end. It's the golden thread that's actually woven into a kingdom that is unshakable. And so her home and the kingdom of David speaks of that even greater kingdom. And our homes, if we trust him for the things that we feel nervous about, the children, maybe, who, who, are, who have gone astray. If we can trust them, like, Lord, you're going to do something there, and I will hold on to you. I won't just punt somehow and give up in despair. And I won't just be angry and frustrated. And I won't be bitter. I will trust you. Or the, the experience of being widowed, the experience of having a lost loved one. I will trust you. The longing for something that hasn't yet been fulfilled at home. I will trust you, Lord, for it. And when we do that, our homes begin to speak of the kingdom. And it's incredible. And little explosions of light can speak right here on earth of the kingdom, which is so full of light, and it's a light that doesn't ever get extinguished and it never goes down. I, I see how Naomi trusts. I see how Boaz trusts. And I see that there's almost, when I, when I look at that, I think there's, there, there's something about that golden light that surrounds them, and it reminds me of many years growing up with my mom at this time of year. And my mom, we didn't live with a lot of money coming in the door, and my dad was often out working two jobs and getting degrees, and it felt, I know, precarious to them, and they were paycheck to paycheck. And there's different ways we feel that vulnerability and I've outlined a few of them. But I remember Mom, I remember Mom learning from the squirrels at this time of year. She would look out at the squirrels in the backyard, and um, she would see them busily but joyfully gathering in what little they could see, and they would bring it into their place, and they would make home for the wintertime. And... She would do that as she was making big meals for the holidays. And so she would sing as she made big meals. They were big meals on a lot, small budget. And our house was so full of golden light because of it, because of those ways in which she would trust God with the little that she had in joy. Even in her practice of the presence of the thinnest gold thread. More and more light would start to shine in our home. It's so funny to see my daughter Kirsten coming in because I was just about to say something about her and Charlie. Because I know, like, when you're a small and a young family and you don't have a lot of resources, which is, I, I think, in many ways, many of our young families, you, you have to hold on to the thin gold thread. I was with Charlie um, the last couple days and, uh, It was the same thing, you know? I know that they're precarious, they're hanging in the balance in so many different ways that I can't go into. You haven't given me permission to say so, right, Kirsten? So I'm not going to. But what was, she says, it's okay. But what I will say is that when I was watching Kirsten and Charlie, after I had a day with Charlie and we watched the squirrels outside and I saw Charlie just delight in that, Kirsten came home and she's sitting there with Charlie and Matt's away for a few days, but I saw this incredible golden presence surrounding the two of them. And it was, you know, they don't have a lot, but they they do have this incredible love that they share for each other. It's so beautiful. And it might seem small in the eyes of the world, But in the eyes of God, it's huge. In the eyes of God, that's a a seed for a kingdom. In the eyes of God, every thread that we grab hold of, of trust in Him, is potentially the most beautiful thing and the most glorious thing. Find the golden threads, friends. Find the golden threads in the time of preparation leading up to the holidays. Find the golden threads. And I think you will discover that what the Lord is doing is he's weaving golden threads into your life until it becomes a loam of goldenness that will foster more and more life and blessing. And it will be like a divine hug. Let's pray. Or Jesus, you are the master of finding golden threads in the midst of a world that was arrayed against you. You were the midst, you were the master of trusting when it seemed an irredeemable situation and thus you were our redemption. Lord Jesus, the hearts that are heavy this morning, I pray that you would show the golden thread in their lives. Lord, open the eyes of the heart, open the ears of the heart to hear that golden word, to see that golden thread, that they might receive from you a gift of presence. They might begin to participate in the weave that you are weaving and receive all the goodness that you have for them. Lord, transform this holiday season, no matter what the past has wrought, Lord. Transform this holiday season into a time of divine warmth and divine care and divine provision for each and every one of us. For our hearts long, Lord, to have a manifestation of your presence and your loving kindness Let us be like Ruth and Boaz, Lord, not despairing and not staying in bitterness, but trusting you and therefore discovering the golden thread of life and the beauty of living in that golden presence. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.